I have known Brother Jim and uh, Sister Janice for, I guess, 42 years. We have been dear friends. And uh, as Jim said, we don't get to see each other very often, uh, but uh, we enjoy each other's company when we do get together. Uh, we've had some uh, good times and some, uh, some uh, difficult times as far as uh, uh, situations, and, uh, but we're glad to be here this uh, morning. Uh, I've been at Shelbyville Road 36 years, but that's nothing to brag about because my secretary has been uh, the secretary for 68 years. So those of you who are uh, on up in years, uh, you know, don't get discouraged. I mean, there's still work to be done, and she still wants to do something, you know. So, uh, but uh, I, am, I am honored to be here. I invite your attention to Second um, Kings chapter 22. You have your Bibles. Second Kings chapter twenty two, beginning with verse one. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jediah, Jediah. And the daughter of Adiah of Boscath, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Isaiah, uh, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that they that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it uh, to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house, unto carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered, have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. Uh, God had given to Israel the, uh, the law of Moses uh, uh, at Mount Sinai that included the Ten Commandments as well as all the other uh, laws that were involved, Exodus chapter 20 and also Deuteronomy 5. And uh, Israel was blessed because they were given the written law. They were God's special people. God had selected them. Um, and in the uh, text that I read to you uh, just a moment ago, uh, it states uh, that I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, which implies that God's book had been lost. Um, how did it come to be lost? I mean, how can, how can you lose a Bible in the house of the Lord? Uh, how could... Uh, God's word be lost in the temple? Uh, that may be a question that comes to your mind as you think about uh, this text. 
But if you do a little uh, background reading into uh, the uh, history of this situation, you see and perhaps the reason as to why God's book was lost. Uh, remember that when Rehoboam uh, came to the throne, he was the son of Solomon, that the kingdom divided at that time because Rehoboam listened to the advice of the young men rather than the older men, and the kingdom divided. You had the ten northern tribes, uh, which became known as Israel, and the two southern tribes became known as Judah. Rehoboam was over the uh, uh, southern tribe, or the southern kingdom, Judah, and the king of the northern uh, tribes, or Israel, was Jeroboam. And Jeroboam uh, led the way into Israel's apostasy. You have a statement or refrain that's found over and over again in the Old Testament that uh, he caused Israel to sin. And ultimately, in 722, uh, Samaria, the capital of, of Israel, was carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. It was captured and people were carried off uh, and some foreigners were brought in. Uh, and Judah continued to exist and uh, there were a few good kings and uh, some bad kings of Judah. Hezekiah, as you recall, was a good king. He began his reign when he was 25 years of age and uh, he was a righteous king and he reigned for 29 years. But after he reigned and after his death, his son Manasseh became king and he was a king for 55 years in Judah and he was a wicked king. He even offered his children to the fires of Molech. Can you imagine uh, someone's doing that? But that's how wicked he was and uh, how far he had turned away from God. And uh, the latter year of, years of his life, I think he... He made a change, but the die had been cast, and uh, his son, who followed him as the next king, uh, Ammon, reigned for two years, and he was wicked, and he died, and uh, of course his son, Josiah, came to the throne. And that's where we're reading right now, that Josiah comes to the throne, and he begins to, if you please, clean house. And as they're cleaning up the temple and repairing it and all, that's when they find... Uh, the book of the law. Uh, so it is uh, my judgment that somewhere during the time of Hezekiah's death and the time of, uh, of Josiah's uh, coming to the throne that uh, the law of God or the book of the law was lost. Well, they had turned away from God. And uh, thus we can understand that. Um, of course, the Bible teaches us that there is value in the study of the Old Testament. Uh, Romans 15.4, what does that say? Anybody know? This is the Bible class, so you can, you can speak up, you know, in this class. What does Romans 15.4? I'll start it off. What's everything's written aforetime, written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Well, now, some of y'all are still asleep, aren't you? Yeah. But... Uh, uh, but that's a, a good verse to indicate the importance of the, of the Old Testament, the value of the Old Testament. There are lessons we learn from it. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11 says, Now these things happen to them for ensamples or examples and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So there's value in studying the Old Testament. What lessons can we learn from this Old Testament story? Well, notice it says, I have found the book. And what a wonderful thing that is, to have found the book meaning God's Word. 
there's a need for us to find it again. I want to uh, suggest some lessons from this. In the first place, uh, somehow the book was lost or misplaced. And we've already indicated the possibilities as to how that was lost, how the, God's Word was lost. Uh, we can lose the Bible today by our failure to uh, preach the gospel to the world, by our failure to, um, to spread the news. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, all power or authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the world. Mark 16, 16 says, He that uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So uh, we can lose the word of God by a failure to uh, spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our responsibility. The church has an obligation to spread the news. And First uh, Timothy 3 and verse 15 says, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, what? The pillar and the ground of the truth. Uh, the world is not going to uh, uphold the truth. The denominational world is not going to uphold the truth. The Lord's church must hold up the truth, must support the truth. That's our duty. And if we don't, who shall? Who will? And so uh, we can lose the Bible by our failure to uh, spread the good news. In uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, the Bible tells us, they that were scattered abroad went what? Everywhere preaching the word. Uh, preaching there is the word euangelion. Uh, 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 it's the idea of telling the good news. Uh, that's not limited to men, that word. That applies to both men and women. All of us have a duty. All of us have a responsibility to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And they, when they were persecuted, began to spread the good news as they went out. It was a... Uh, daily part of their lives, it seems. Um, and so we can lose the Bible by a failure to spread the good news. We can lose the Bible by a failure to read it and study it. Um, there are so many more things to do in our world today that it's easy to allow other things to choke out our time with the Word of God. Uh, we're told in Isaiah 34 and verse 16, seek ye out the book of the law and read. That's the Old Testament, but the principle is still true. Seek ye out the book of the law and read. Um, Paul told Timothy, till I come give attendance to what? Reading, to exhortation and doctrine. Of course, some have said that word uh, reading there means public reading, but uh, because they didn't have access to a Bible as you and I do today, uh, when God's word was read publicly, they were to give attention to it. Paul was telling Timothy, who had, by the way, a, a spiritual gift. I don't know what, which gift he had, but he had a spiritual gift. Paul tells him to give attention to it. And uh, Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, uh, John five thirty nine, And Acts 17 and verse 11 what does Luke say about the Bereans? Anybody remember? They were more noble than those at Thessalonica, and they received the word with all readiness of mind, openness of mind. 
and uh, searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And so that is uh, a way in which we can uh, prevent God's word from becoming lost in our own lives and in our own hearts by continual reading and studying of God's word. That's the duty of every uh, Christian, to study and to read. And uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul said to the young preacher Timothy, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, and as I said, there are things in this world that can choke the word of God out. In the parable of the sower, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, Jesus uh, said, And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So we can allow things, even things that are right within themselves, to choke out the word of God from our lives. And we must be careful about that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so we must be careful not to allow... Uh, the devil to uh, choke the word of God out or to keep the word of God from, from being heard. Society in general today uh, is not interested in the Bible. Uh, when you think about it, uh, um, when uh, World, War, World War II was taking place, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, gave New Testaments to all the soldiers. Do you think a president would do that today? Uh, but he gave New Testaments to all the soldiers. And uh, so that's an indication of society and a lack of respect for the Bible. But I can tell you this, when uh, soldiers are under fire and when maybe a ship is going down, probably every one of those men that are in the, uh, in the ocean that are, that are trying to live are praying to God wanting God to save them. Um, and we can think of many examples of a failure in society to want to hear God's word. Uh, the Bible can be neglected, or the word of God can be neglected by carelessly misplacing it or neglecting it. Uh, in, uh, I mentioned to you uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, the priests, as we look back here in 2 Kings chapter 22, uh, the priests were the curators of the word of God. They were responsible for it. But where were they? You know, they were not interested in uh, it being read. And of course, the king, whose responsibility was to read it, he wasn't interested in, in having it read. Uh, so uh, the church has an obligation to uh, spread the good news and not allow the word of God to be lost. Perhaps uh, the word of God was maliciously concealed, as I suggested by the priests or the idolatrous kings. I'm thinking in reference to Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 36, when he called for the word of God to be brought and read, and when two or three um, pages of it or uh, parts of the scroll were being read to him, he cut them out with his penknife and threw them into the fire. Uh, he did not want to hear God's word. And that's the, that's the reaction of many people today. They don't want to hear God's word. Uh, 
but you remember the story from Jeremiah 36 that after the word was destroyed, God told Jeremiah, you, you give the same words to Baruch, his uh, secretary or amanuensis, and uh, you have him write them again. So it reminds us that God's not going to allow his word to be ultimately destroyed. Um, so we must be careful about uh, the, uh, the word of God. We must protect it, and yet we must spread the good news too. Uh, the, the Bible is hidden under the rubbish of uh, man-made traditions. You know, if you could just, if people would just take the, the Bible, the New Testament in particular, and read it, uh, they wouldn't be so confused. But when you have all these various doctrines of men being taught, people are confused. And, uh, but if people would just pick up the Bible, pick up the New Testament and read it, they could see that there are a lot of things that are false that the denominational world teaches and that uh, men teach that uh, need to be uh, rejected. Uh, I'm thinking in particular of uh, recently the death of Joanne Howe. You know, she was uh, a Roman Catholic nun for, I think, 16 years. And she wrote two books. She studied herself out of Roman Catholicism by the reading of the Bible. And there are two books, I think the Gospel Advocate, I'm not uh, a salesman for the Advocate, but uh, there are two books that they sell, or they used to sell. One is called From, Priest to, uh, From Nun to Priest, and the other is, from, is entitled Change of Habit, which tells of her uh, journey out of Catholicism into Christianity. How did she do that? She did it by the study of the Bible, by laying aside, throwing out all, everything else and just saying, what does the Bible say? What does God say? And that has to be our attitude as well in reference to the reading of the Bible and the studying of it. Uh, Colossians 2 and verse 8, Paul said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Of course, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 9, In vain did they worship me, what? Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. So we must uh, not be satisfied with the doctrines of men. We must... Uh, long for and desire the word of God. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Sincere there means uncontaminated. Uh, desire there means to crave. You know, little babies crave for milk. And they want uncontaminated milk. And if they don't get uh, the milk, they will let you know, won't they? Uh, we have a number of babies at the Shelbyville Road congregation, and, uh, you know, they get hungry sometimes during worship services. And uh, they let everybody know. And sometimes they can, they can outshout the preacher. Because I'm not a loud mouth, see. But they're, <laughs> but, uh, the, but they're hungry. Well, that's the kind of desire and craving that you and I need to have for the Word of God. Uh, and so uh, we must have a desire for it. There is a sense, though, in which God's word has never been lost. 
we have a promise that runs through the Bible uh, that God's word will never be destroyed. Uh, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, the psalmist says in Psalm 119 and verse 89. So regardless of what men do, uh, men can burn the Bible, and they have done that, but God's word still exists. Uh, we read in Psalm 12, 6, and 7, the words of the Lord are, uh, are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation and forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but what? My word shall not pass away. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25, uh, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of men is the flower of the grass, the grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. We are debtors to men who have given their lives to give us the Bible. And I don't think we often think too much about that. But there have been men that have given their lives to uh, give us the Bible. For many, many years, the Bible was chained to the, uh, the pulpits of uh, the Catholic Church. And very few people had access to the Bible. Um, but men began to uh, translate the Bible and... Uh, even under threat of death, and some even dying, uh, becoming martyrs, uh, in order to give us the Bible. We're so blessed in our world, in our country, to have access to the Bible. Um, and we can have it on an iPad, we can have it on our phones, we can have it in, uh, you know, we can carry a little New Testament in our pockets, we can, uh, we can go to most any a good bookstore and find a Bible, uh, but many are not reading the Bible. Many do not know what's in the Bible. In the 1500s, uh, in England, there was a prohibition against the Bible being read and the Bible even being uh, heard read or possessing a copy of the Bible. And there was a man by the name of William Tyndall who determined that he was going to uh, give the Bible to the common man. In fact, I want to read a quote to you. Uh, a certain learned man said to Tyndall, we are better to be without God's law than the Pope, than the Pope's law. Now imagine that. We are better to be without God's law than the Pope's law. And Tyndall's response was, I defy the Pope and all his laws, and he added that if God spared his life, ere many years he would cause a boy who driveth a plow to know more of the Scripture than the Pope. And so he set out to translate uh, the Bible, and in particular the New Testament. And he wanted to get the Bible, the New Testament, into uh, England. But they, they wouldn't allow it. And so he made Bibles this size, this exact size right here. And he uh, brought them into England, 
had them shipped into England by merchants who hid them in bolts of cloth. Now you keep in mind that if you were caught with a New Testament, they would put you to death. Imagine that. Is it going to get that way in our country? I hope not. But uh, it might separate uh, the wheat from the chaff if that were to happen. But uh, this little New Testament, uh, this size was the size of, of the Bible that went, New Testament that went into England, that was uh, brought into England under, uh, uh, in bolts of cloth. And a lot of the King James Version is based on Tyndall's uh, language. And, uh, you know, Bibles were very expensive, but he made it uh, so that the common man could have a copy of it. He was not out to make money like the uh, people who are printing Bibles today. He was out to get the Bible into the hands of the common man. And through his efforts, uh, ultimately, uh, the people in England broke away from the Catholic Church. So we have a great debt to uh, Tyndall, though he was not a Christian. We have a debt that we owe to him. You know, Paul says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also that are at Rome. So I wanted to share that with you regarding Tyndall's uh, New Testament. Um, There was also a man in the 1800s by the name of Constantine Tischendorf. And uh, he was, just to give you a few uh, facts on him, he was born in 1815, uh, January the 18th, uh, in Germany. And in 1838, he received from the University of Leipzig, and I may not be pronouncing these names right. Uh, I'm not German. Uh, he, he received a Doctor of Philosophy in Philology at the age of 23. And during this time, he was also a private tutor, and he began to work on a critical edition of the Greek New Testament. To aid his work, he began to make trips, scouring the world for manuscripts. He went everywhere. Just to give you an example, he went in 1841, he went to Holland. In 1842, he went to London. Um, In uh, 1843, he went to uh, Switzerland. And uh, there he collected a Codex E, an 8th century manuscript, of 318 pages with four accounts of the gospel, uh, an example of the so-called Byzantine text type. In 1843, he went to the Vatican to see the, the Vaticanus manuscript, which is of the 4th century, uh, one of the oldest manuscripts that's still in existence. Well, do you think the Pope would allow him to look at that manuscript? Would not let him look at it. He could not look, have access to it, couldn't look at it. And uh, in May of 1844, he goes to uh, Mount Sinai where there's a monastery, uh, St. Catherine's Monastery. And he's walking around and he's talking to some of the monks there and he sees a basket full of manuscripts that are about to be tossed into the fire and he looks at them and he's so impressed with them that he says something and they they stop, uh, uh, they're, they're throwing the manuscripts into the fire, and they think, well, these must be of some value. Uh, he was able to take a few of the uh, sheets of the manuscript. Uh, it was in codex form, 
and uh, he was able to take a few of them with him, there were a number that were left. And he was not able to go back. I think he went back uh, one other, uh, two other times, but the third time that he went back, uh, he was uh, visiting with uh, uh, the steward of the, of the monastery, and uh, they were talking about the Septuagint translation, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And uh, the steward invited him into his cell or into his room and said, well, I, I have a copy of the Septuagint. And he pulled out a copy of the Septuagint, which also included the New Testament, and it was what is known as the, the Sinaiticus manuscript, also of, a, of the 4th century. And because uh, back in 1849, I think it was, 1844, when he went the first time to St. Catherine, he showed such excitement about having found this manuscript that the monks said, well, you know, this, this, there must be something to this. And so they would not give him all of it. But this time when the steward shows him this uh, Septuagint with uh, the New Testament as well, he tries to be real calm and act like, well, I didn't mean that. I, can I take it to my room and look at it for a little bit? And so he, they, he, the steward let him do that, and he took it with him into his room, and he, he describes the joy of having found that. I, I wish I had uh, the quote uh, that he uh, that he makes, or the statement that he makes about having found this thing that was just a diamond. He thought it was the greatest find in uh, the history of mankind to find this manuscript, uh, one of the oldest in the world and in such great shape. And uh, he was allowed to ultimately take it and uh, eventually gave it to the Tsar of Russia. But, um, you know, that's another example of where here... A Bible was about to be thrown away, but perhaps through the providence of God, it was preserved. And it just so happened that Tischendorf arrived at that time to, to see they were getting ready to throw away these manuscripts. But that's an example of the, uh, uh, God's preservation of his word, and there are many, many other examples along that line. In 1947, there was a shepherd boy that was looking for his uh, lost sheep uh, near the northwest end of the Dead Sea. And uh, there were some caves up there. And he took a rock and he threw it up into one of those caves, thinking maybe that would scare out one of the sheep, and he heard something break. And he was curious. And so he, he went up there and he found these jars with various manuscripts in it, uh, in them. And uh, there were other caves as well that were later located, and uh, there were manuscripts in them, in these jars. And, of course, that's how the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Uh, many people thought that the book of Isaiah was written by, you know, various men uh, much later than the 8th century B.C. Uh, but uh, these... Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think, prove otherwise. It uh, was written by one and, of course, written by inspiration. Uh, but it's, again, proof that uh, uh, God is not going to allow his word to be uh, destroyed. And here in this story in 2 Kings 22, uh, God was not going to allow his word uh, to be lost. Um, and I believe that is of, of value to us today. 
What are some ways in your mind that God's word can be lost with the few minutes that remain? I've already mentioned some. Now, you can't use any of the ones I've used, so. Apathy, Apathy yes. That is one of the great uh, causes of God's word to be lost. Apathy, a lack of concern, a lack of interest. And what causes that apathy, you suppose? Worldliness. Uh, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, uh, because iniquity abounds, the love of many, what? Wax is cold. Yes. You think apathy is a problem in the church? You don't know and you don't care, do you? <laughs> Maybe ignorance, too, is a problem. <laughs> um, Yes, those are, those are, uh, that's a, a great point in reference to apathy. Uh, any, th- any other ways in which God's word is lost? Trans- the translation of the scriptures, yes. Uh, well, sometimes uh, transliteration can be a value. What, what's the difference in translation and transliteration? You say the spelling, that's right. <laughs> what's the difference in Translating a passage or a, a word and transliterating it. Pardon? Well, no. Transliterating actually means the idea of, like the word baptism, the Greek word uh, baptismos. You bring the letters, the Greek letters, down into the English. That is, that's transliterating. And I think the brother meant really translation. By translation, or mistranslation, really, of God's word, uh, it is lost. So, uh, yes? Yes, that has been suggested as the reason it was the, the word uh, baptizo or baptize, I baptize was uh, transliterated is because of, of maybe uh, the Church of England, you know, and their views of, of uh, baptism, including uh, sprinkling and pouring and, and immersion, you know. Uh, that, that could be the reason. But regardless of that word, uh, the fact that this word has been uh, transliterated uh, rather than translated as immersion, we can still know the meaning of baptize without it being changed, can't we? Romans 6, 3, and 4. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism. So I can still learn the truth on baptism, even though uh, the word is immersion. That it means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. But the, so many modern translations... Uh, have so much error in them. For instance, uh, probably the worst is the New International Version, chock full of Calvinism. Uh, Psalm 51.5 teaches born a sinner. So, you, you know, uh, a, pe- a person who picks up the New International Version thinks he's reading the Bible, and he accepts that, uh, he's going to be led astray. Now, it's true that we could... Uh, you know, there are some words in the King James Version that have been 
updated in the New King James Version, which is good. In fact, in some places, the New King James Version, in my judgment, is better. Um, like Acts 12.4 changes the word Easter there in the King James, I think, to Passover, doesn't it, Jim? Um, but, you know, I was, I was reading a little bit of this Tyndall's translation to Lois yesterday, and wherever you find the word Passover in Tyndall's, it will translate it uh, Easter lamb. E-S-T-E-R. Uh, for instance, turn your Bibles. <clears throat> I'll have to find it in this one because <clears throat> it's not, not all down in, uh, in verses. But turn to the latter part of Luke. <clears throat> in Luke uh, 24, 1, now I'm... I'm going to try to read a little bit from Tyndall's Bible, and you compare it to the King James, if you would like, or what version you may have. The Feast of uh, Sweetbread, I believe is what it says, uh, do nigh, which is called Easter, E-S-T-E-R. Then look down a little bit. I don't know what verse this is, but <clears throat> then came the days of S-W-E-T-E. What does it say there in your Bible? On, uh, go to verse 1 again. Look at the Feast of... Is it Unleavened Bread in your... Feast of Unleavened Bread in, in Luke 24, 1? Is that what it is? Read. Someone read Luke 24, 1 to me. I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong chapter. Well, why didn't you say something, Jeff? That's the first mistake I've made all day. Not really. All right. Uh, it's chapter 22, I think. Well, it's Roman numerals, and it's funny-looking Roman numerals, so... Yes, thank you. Yeah, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the uh, King James Version says, I think, or maybe New King James. Yes. Okay, King James. Yeah, see the word. This has uh, it says sweet bread. S W E T E. I, and then, but it's, then it says which is called Easter. And then look down a little bit in the same uh, ver, same chapter. Then came the days of you would have unleavened bread, when of necessity the Passover lamb must be offered. This is Easter lamb. And so every place where Passover is found in, in ten, or in the Greek uh, text, Tyndall translated Easter. So that may be why in Acts 12.4, the uh, King James Version translated that Easter. It did not have the same meaning then that it does today. Um, but it would be better translated uh, Passover. Was that the bell? Does that mean I have to stop? Bottom line. Okay, I'm done. Thank you for not going to sleep on me.